2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, hear the word of the Lord. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the powerful ministry of the new covenant. We thank you for the giving of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for reconciliation, for forgiveness, for eternal life, for the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit who guides us and leads us into all righteousness. Lord, we confess that many times we think of ourselves as sufficient in ourselves. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would encourage us, that you would humble us, and that you would bless us with an outpouring of your Holy Spirit among us. Lord, change us transform us for the glory of Jesus Christ in whose name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout the scriptures there has been a sense of complete inadequacy among those who were called by God to minister the gospel of God, the good news, the grace of God. When the Lord revealed Himself to Moses, Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? But the Lord said, but I will be with you. And as the Lord began showing the signs and wonders even to Moses himself, Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go. 
and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. When the Lord revealed himself to Gideon and called him to deliver the people of Israel from the oppression of the Midianites, Gideon said, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. When Isaiah saw the Lord, the the king high and lifted up and the seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. He said, woe is me. When the Lord called Jeremiah to ministry, Jeremiah said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to Jeremiah, do not say I'm only a youth. For to, all, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. It's been that way all throughout the Scriptures. I mean, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Moses, Gideon. There's been a sense of inadequacy among those ministering the Word of God to the people of God and pronouncing judgment, proclaiming good news. And it was no less the same with Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul understood his weaknesses. Even though he was a Jew among Jews, He was trained at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a Hebrew-speaking Hebrew. He had surpassed all of his peers in Hebrew training and training in the Scriptures, in the Word of God. And yet, he knew his own inadequacy to be a minister of the gospel. I mean, he was a persecutor of the church. He was a chief among sinners. And yet, the Lord Jesus Christ appointed him and called him to go and declare the good news of the gospel. Those who were the false apostles who had infiltrated Corinth and had made way and made ripples and waves and all kinds of problems within the congregation accused Paul of not being sufficient to be an apostle of Christ. I mean, he wasn't an eloquent speaker, so they said. Who was he to be a minister of the gospel? And they mocked him, spoke against him, and people even bought into it. I wonder, is he really an authentic apostle of Christ? I want us to see three things in this text in verses 1 to 6. First of all, the authenticity of ministry, what a real authentic ministry is, a Christian ministry, and then confidence in ministry, where that comes from, 
And then sufficiency for ministry, where our sufficiency comes from. So number one, in verses one to three, I want us to see the authenticity of Paul's ministry was proven in the way he viewed his actual role in ministry. Let me say it again. The authenticity of Paul's ministry was proven in the way he viewed his actual role in ministry. Watch this. Verse one, Paul says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Go back one more verse in verse 17 in chapter 2, just go up, just one verse. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's Word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. He's contrasting his ministry. We're not peddlers of God's word. We're we're not doing this for money. We are men of sincerity. As commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. He says, do we, do we need as some do letters of recommendation to you or from you? Now, it was very common when you didn't know people or you didn't know people in a city, a church in a city, to send a letter of recommendation. Paul was constantly sending letters of recommendation for Timothy and for Titus and for Epaphroditus and for Phoebe from the church of Sincre. Romans chapter 16, he sends a recommendation, we commend to you our sister Phoebe. And the whole letter of Paul to Philemon was a letter of recommendation for Onesimus. Paul says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. He sent Onesimus back to Philemon with a letter of recommendation. And that was normal. But Paul had a deep, intimate relationship with the church of Corinth. He planted the church. He labored among them, teaching the Word of God for a year and a half. They knew him. They knew his character. They knew that he preached Christ and Christ crucified and nothing else. In fact, that was his aim, was to know nothing else among them but Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Paul demonstrated faithfulness to them, and yet they had been influenced by these people who spoke against Paul, who didn't know Paul. The Corinthians should have known Paul, and Paul says, do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? And the answer is, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation. I mean, you, my brothers and sisters, Church of Corinth, you're the letter of recommendation. Your transformed lives, that's the letter of recommendation. That is the certificate of authenticity 
in my apostolic ministry is you. You yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts. He's speaking of this intimate, deep relationship that he has with them to be known and read by all. This wasn't secret. This was a transparency, a gospel transparency for everybody to see. But notice this, verse 3, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Paul says, you're a letter from Jesus Christ, and we've just delivered it. You're a letter, you show, it has been revealed in you that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, ministered by us, and written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. This is a work that God has done. Paul is saying, I don't take credit for this work among you. The authenticity of my ministry is demonstrated in the Holy Spirit at work among you. When we brought the gospel to you, God brought the fruit. He gets the glory, and you are our letter of recommendation, and that letter comes from Christ, and we were just the couriers. We were just the deliverers of this beautiful letter. The authenticity of Paul's ministry was proven in the way he viewed his actual role in ministry. I'm a courier. I'm a deliverer of the good news. God does the work. He gets the glory. He saves people by His grace through this message of good news. It's not us. It's God. He gets the glory. So many times when people have a successful ministry, they are tempted to think that it's something within themselves. It's their eloquence. It's their speaking ability. And everybody has a responsibility to be faithful with the gifts that God has given to use, but it's God's ability, not man's ability. It's God's work, not man's work. We labor with God, but He brings the growth. We plant the seeds, we water the seeds, but we can't take credit for the growth because God brings the growth. Paul says that you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This contrast, he's remembering back, thinking back to Sinai where God wrote the tablets and it was written with the finger of God. It was God's work. They weren't Moses' words, they were God's words written by the finger of God. And Paul's saying the same thing, this isn't my work, this is the work of God, it's 
written by the Spirit of the living God. And this is coming from Christ. This is the work of Christ by the Spirit. And we're just the deliverers of this beautiful letter. And it's meant to be read by all. Your testimony is meant to be read by all. I've heard it so many times among those in the older generation about their faith, how their faith is private. I can remember when my dad went and ministered to his aunt in her last days. She was not a believer. She had gone to church her whole life, but she, she had a knowledge about Christ, but she didn't know Him personally. And in her last days, she repented of her sins and put her trust in Jesus Christ. And my dad had the opportunity to stand at her service, her funeral, and he told the story of how she had given her life to Christ and how her countenance changed. Everything changed in her life and she was saved and she died. She went home to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he told that story, there were some in her generation that were so offended. Offended because her faith should have been private. And they saw their own faith as private. But the reality is when the Spirit of the living God does a work in the human heart, opening blind eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ, granting faith to believe, saving a sinner from the wrath of God coming on their sins. That is a letter for everyone to read. It's transparent. It's for everyone to read. It's not meant to be kept silent and private. It's for everybody. And Paul saw the testimony of the changing work of the Spirit among the people of Corinth as a testimony to the world of the glory of the gospel and the power of the gospel. And that letter was to be read by everybody. The authenticity of Paul's ministry was proven in the way he viewed his actual role in ministry. He was a steward. He was not the owner. He was not the source. He was not the originator. He was a steward of what he had been given. And he had been given the responsibility to serve the gospel, to serve it hot, and he couldn't take credit for any of it. It was God's work. Number two, the degree of Paul's confidence in ministry was directly related to the way he viewed his own sufficiency for ministry. Verses four to five, the degree of Paul's confidence in ministry was directly related to the way he viewed his own sufficiency for ministry. Look at verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have, watch this, through Christ toward God. He's getting ready to say, this is the confidence we have. And this confidence is through Christ toward God. Our confidence is not in ourselves, he's saying. 
through the mediation of Christ, through the power of Christ, through the person and work of Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Now, you might have in your Bible adequacy, sufficiency, competency. And those who have ministered the gospel and preached the Word of God throughout the ages have, have experienced that insufficiency, that inadequacy, that weakness, that inability. How, Lord, who am I? How could I go? How, how, I can't speak. How can I do this? But Paul knew that he didn't qualify himself for ministry. God qualified him. He didn't appoint himself to ministry. God appointed him. He was not sufficient for ministry. It was God who made him adequate and sufficient for the task. Now, not in his own strength, His sufficiency came from God. His ability came from God. God would use his weakness as a platform for the power of God to be manifested in his life. Hudson Taylor said this, the founder of the Inland China Mission, the one that we named our son after, Hudson. He said, God chose me because I was weak enough. God does not do his work by large committees. He trains somebody to be quiet enough and little enough, and then he uses him. Let me ask you this, are you quiet enough? Are you little enough? Are you weak enough to be used by God as a demonstration of His power, His adequacy, His sufficiency? When God called me to preach June 9th, 2001, I had been in the furniture business for 11 years. All I knew was furniture. I didn't have a Bible college background. I didn't have anything. All I knew that God had called me to preach. That was it. I said, look, I don't know how. I don't know anything. And I can remember this growing sense of inadequacy. How? It was scary. And I can remember sitting in a service at Brainerd Baptist Church on a Sunday night when an older man, Bill Stafford, you remember that, Charla? In his 70s or 80s was preaching, powerful preacher, an old evangelist. And he said this, and I've got it inscribed on a a piece of glass sculpture in my office. And it says, God didn't call me to preach because he was impressed with my ability. I've got to renounce my ability and live in his ability. And I went, that's it. That just spoke to my heart when he said that because I knew I didn't have the ability. But it's not just 
a prideful ability. I have the ability for most preachers. It's a sense of inability. I can't do it. How can I? So it's not just renouncing a sense of ability, it's renouncing a sense of inability as well. Because remember what he said to Moses, remember what he said to Jeremiah, I will be with you. Obey, say what I tell you to say, and I will be with you. And that's the way it's been all along. The degree of Paul's confidence in ministry was directly related to the way he viewed his own sufficiency for ministry. He said, I'm not sufficient in myself. I don't have the ability, I don't, and even the inability is irrelevant because it's God who gives me the ability. It's God who is sufficient. It's God who called me. It's God who makes me adequate. God gets the credit. And just like Bill Stafford said, he didn't call Paul because he was impressed with his ability. And Paul, like every other preacher and every Christian who is telling the good news of Jesus, has to renounce their own ability and live in God's ability. You gotta view your own sufficiency for ministry. The detractors, the enemy will have a heyday and say, you're not qualified. How can you do it? That's right, how can you do it? And Paul could boast in his weakness because when he was weak, God was strong. When he was weak, it demonstrated the power of Christ in him and through him, and so he could rejoice in it. Can you rejoice in your weakness so that God gets the glory? Is your confidence in ministry related to your ability, your giftedness, the way you've been used? Or can you rejoice in your insufficiency and rest in God's sufficiency? Because I think that has everything to do with our perseverance in ministry too, is how we view God's call, God's work, God's sufficiency in quieting the doubts on the inside and quieting the enemy's attack, quieting pride welling up on the inside. It's our view of God's sufficiency for ministry. Number three, and finally, verse six. I want you to notice this. The purpose of Paul's God-given sufficiency for ministry was nothing else but the Spirit-wrought, life-giving gospel ministry of the New Covenant. That was what his sufficiency, that was God-given what it was for. It wasn't for him just to live the way he wanted to. It was for a very specific purpose. God's sufficiency for ministry was given to Paul 
for a spirit-wrought, life-giving gospel ministry of the new covenant. And that's what Christian ministry is. It's the ministry of the new covenant. Look at verse 6. Paul says, who has made us sufficient? Go back. Our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, the promise of the new covenant was all over the Bible, but specifically in Ezekiel chapter 36 and Jeremiah chapter 31. I want to read those passages so that we can understand what Paul is talking about in Ezekiel chapter 36. Verse 25, the Lord says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And God is speaking to the people of Israel to a a later day. I'm going to do this in the future. This is my promise. This is a new covenant promise. The days are coming when this is going to happen. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. The day is coming, the prophet says, that God is going to pour out his Holy Spirit and he's going to put his Holy Spirit inside his people who will empower his people to walk in his ways. That he's, he's going to do a kind of surgery, a spiritual heart surgery that's new and different. He's going to take out a hard heart of stone and he's going to put in a heart of flesh, one that is bent toward God, one that loves God, one that loves Jesus Christ. Jesus points us back to this verse right here when he says, you must be born again. He's talking about the work of the Spirit in regeneration, in taking out a heart of stone, putting in a heart of flesh, bringing new life to a sinner who's dead in their trespasses and sins. This is the new covenant work that God had promised. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, the Lord says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here's the new covenant. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will take them for myself, and I will give myself to them. 
And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. That word is an intimate relational knowledge. Remember, our sin has made a separation between us and God, and that has to be restored. That broken relationship must be restored, and it is restored only by the once-for-all sacrifice of the new covenant high priest, Jesus Christ. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. It's a different covenant. It wasn't like the covenant with Israel, for just because you were in the covenant, just because you were circumcised on the eighth day did not mean that you had a saving relationship with the Lord. In fact, God kept for Himself a remnant, but many and most of the people perished in unbelief. But the new covenant is different because every single person in the new covenant has a saving relationship with the Lord through the new covenant high priest, Jesus Christ. Their sins are forgiven. They're reconciled to God. They know the Lord. And God has put His Spirit inside to cause them to walk in His ways. They have a new desire, a delight to walk in the ways of God. And that was the purpose of Paul's ministry, was to declare this new covenant brought by the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And that's what he was to preach and proclaim to sinners, to Jews and Gentiles alike, and all who called upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Everyone. A Christian ministry that is void of the new covenant promises and centered on Jesus Christ is no Christian ministry at all. In fact, we're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper in just a minute. Remember on that Last Supper when Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It was all about God's promises being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, in the person and work of Christ. And that's what Paul's calling was all about. And God's sufficiency that He gave him for ministry was all about that it would be a spirit-wrought, life-giving, gospel ministry of the new covenant. Let me ask you this, do you think of yourself as adequate, as the source do you see yourself as earning God's favor because you've been good, because you've got a pedigree, you've got a, a spiritual pedigree growing up in the church? Or do you see, see yourself as completely 
hopeless and helpless apart from the saving work of Christ and completely unfit to do anything of spiritual and eternal value apart from the sufficiency that comes from Christ. And if so, you're in a good place to be used by God. Remember what Hudson Taylor said, he said, God chose me because I was weak enough. God doesn't do his work by large committees, he trains somebody to be quiet enough and little enough and then uses them. Are you that somebody that's quiet enough and little enough to be used by God for His glory and not your own. If you would say, here am I, send me. Then the Lord could use you in your home in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, all over the place. You might not think you're anybody, but in Christ, you may be that somebody who's small enough to be used for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the new covenant. We thank you for the life-giving spirit. Thank you that you have put your Holy Spirit within your people. You've given us new desires. You've given us new abilities to walk in your ways, to honor you. Lord, help us to be humble and small and lowly so that you get the glory. Help us to rejoice in our weaknesses so that the power of Christ would rest on us. And Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here today who doesn't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation, that today that you would grant regeneration by the Holy Spirit, that you would cause some to be born again today, that you would take out a heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh that wants Jesus for the first time. Would you do that for your glory, Lord? You are the only one who can give the growth, and you are the only one who's worthy of the glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.